Good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Psalm 62? Psalm 62, or you can scan the QR code, and as you're doing that, ushers are coming down the aisles with Bibles. If you need one, just slip a hand up. They'll get one in your hands. Um, while they're coming, you'll see up on the screen, unless it was already up there, um, it's a, that right there, the leader launch. Some of you may know Nick Hall. Uh, he grew up in this church, and Nick Hall is a world evangelist who leads an organization called Pulse Ministries, and they're out of the Twin Cities. And one of the things that they're doing is that they're coming to North Dakota, they're making this major push all the way through our state in May of 2025, so over a year from now. But starting this spring all the way through summer, there's gonna be all kinds of events that are happening. And one of the first ones that's coming up is that event. So if you are interested, this is called a leader launch. If you're just interested in learning more about Nick, his ministry, and what's gonna be happening through the state of North Dakota, I encourage you to scan that QR code and get registered and uh, join him and others for lunch as we anticipate all that God wants to do uh, in and through his ministry and through the state of North Dakota. I'm super excited about that. Privileged to be a part of it. Psalm 62, glad that you're here this morning. Those joining us online and uh, those in traditions and kindred. Psalm 62 reflects for us David's confident trust in the Lord despite what was happening in his life. In silence, he waited for the Lord, for his strength, for, for his security to help him and to rescue him. The Psalm contrasts the security of trusting in the Lord and trusting in God with the insecurity of trusting and relying on our own ways and the ways of this world. Waiting on God isn't easy, is it? Many of you are waiting on God right now. In this Psalm, David says of God, you are my salvation, meaning my deliverance. You are my rock, my fortress, my hope, my glory, my refuge, my power, and my steadfast love. David will reveal to us all of the assurances that we have in the Lord when the, the turbulence of life gets rough. Imagine using the truths of this psalm as your assurance. God, I know that when life feels unstable, you are my rock. And be able to say that with confidence. I know that when I feel like I'm being attacked from all sides, you are my fortress. I know that when I feel down and discouraged, you are my hope. And when I feel weak and worn out, you are my strength. So David reminds us in this passage of a myriad of truths about God that otherwise can be forgotten in the time of trouble, in the time of need. This past Tuesday, I stopped at Fleet Farm uh, to pick up some of those little hearts, those little conversation hearts. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a small window for those, and I really like those hearts that, you know, they kind of taste like chalk. Do you know, what, you know what I'm talking about? I used to get those in school. Um, in the past, you know, I've been able to find them there, but I was, I was looking all over for these hearts at Wife Fleet Farm, I don't know. Um, but I was there looking for them and I was getting frustrated because they're all gone. It's Tuesday, they're gone, right? And I'm getting ready to leave and it hits me and I'm like, you big dummy, tomorrow's Valentine's Day. I should probably get something for Lori. <laughs> so I turned around, I went back and I picked up one of those big heart things full of chocolates. <laughs> 
And though I still go to the store for gifts, like for Valentine's Day or her birthday or for Christmas, I like, I like to go and, and I like to get things. I like to buy her gifts. I, I, several years ago, I started writing my own cards. I just feel like I can do a better job than Hallmark and, and all these cards you have to spend so much money for. Um, let, me, let me just give you an example. Roses are red, violets are blue. I'm so glad that you don't chew. See, that, that's way better than you can find with a Hallmark card, right? It's important that we slow down at times to reflect on all the reasons why we love the people in our lives. But more importantly, that we express them to them. This is another one of those Psalms that reveals to us that David is in trouble and David needs help. That's what David is doing there. He's slowing down and not only thinking about the attributes and the characteristics of God, but he's expressing them to God. And let's see what we can learn from him. The first four verses, the idea is this, rest in God. Verse one says this, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. What we see here is surrendered silence before the Lord. When we are faced with having to navigate the rough terrain of life, it's not going to come down to what we know about God. It's gonna come down to what you believe about God. Knowledge turns to belief through personal experience. So we could say all day, God is rest, God is salvation, God is a rock, God is a fortress, but that is not what David says. He's teaching us here to personalize it. Truly, my soul finds rest in God and my salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my fortress and I will never be shaken. Truly, means alone or only. So verse one could be understood like this, alone or only upon God does my soul silently wait. His focus is on no one else or nothing else, only on God. F.B. Meyer says it like this. This is why God keeps you waiting. All that is of self and nature must be silent. One voice after another cease to boast. One light after another be put out until the soul is shut up to God alone. Some Psalms, David begins by expressing his great need and others by, by expressing his present crisis. So he, in some Psalms, he zooms out and he said, this is all that's happening around me. And some of them he zooms in and he says, this is my present crisis right now, today. But in Psalm 62, he begins by sharing his great confidence in God, but, but he never mentions a word about his problems. Knowledge alone can leave us at arm's length. God is my rock, check. God is my fortress, check. But belief comes from an intimate and up-close experience with God. For us to replace knowledge about God with belief about God, we have to relinquish and, and demolish all of the other things that we are believing to, in to save us and to secure us and to give us hope. 
your outlook on life, friends, will always mirror what or who you are trusting in. I look to you alone. Nowhere else do I look for what you alone can give. I don't turn to money. I don't turn to self-help books. I don't turn to worldly wisdom and advice from friends who are not seeking God. God, I have come to know and believe you are my only source. That's the idea here. Here is something that, that is mind-blowing about Psalm 62 that maybe you've never read or you've never seen or you've never heard. It clearly paints a picture of David turning during a time of trouble. But I want you to get this. David asked God for nothing. There's no fear. There's no despair, just pure confidence in God. We gotta do this. We gotta do this right now. For one minute, friends, in silence, and I, I know there's kids in the room, it's not gonna be completely silence, but for one minute, I wonder if we can echo what David did here in Psalm 62. Let's go before the Lord just in the quietness of your heart and, and just in confidence um, express to him his attributes and his characteristics, but don't ask him for anything. Would you do that? For one minute. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to go before the Lord and, and not have a list of things that we ask of him to do in our lives, to accomplish in our lives. But David models for us in Psalm 62 this ability to just echo back just all the characteristics of who God is, to speak truth. Verse three, how long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? In these two verses, David complains both to his enemies and of his enemies while his confidence was, was still in God alone. He wasn't afraid to say to those who were attacking him, how long will you keep this up? How long will you, will you persist? How long will you keep coming after me? Uh, we could substitute here, just, we, could, we could talk about people or circumstances or lies, but have you ever been in that place where it's just this barrage and it's like, how long is this gonna keep up? Verse four, surely they intend to topple me from the lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless me, but with their hearts they curse. His enemies, these people that he's talking about were both liars and they were two-faced. They bless with their mouths, but in their hearts they curse. We've all known people like that, right? David goes from full confidence in God to reflecting on, on his reality. My belief in God is this, that's how he starts. This is my belief in God and he echoes all these attributes and characteristics, but my reality in life is this. It's not that we shouldn't be aware and acknowledge our reality, but what, what David models for us is that we shouldn't dwell or we shouldn't stay there too long. After all, if we were to only think about what we know to be true about God and never give a thought to 
our reality in life, how would we know how to apply the truth of who he is? That is why only knowledge about God is not enough. We must have belief. We boast in knowledge, but we apply belief. Ah, but our minds are like little reality traps. Our minds want us to stay. Our minds want us to dwell and ruminate. That's why Romans 12, 1 and 2 is so important. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, Paul says, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, focusing on the truths of who God is. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Did you catch that? Eugene Peterson uh, writes it like this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. We had some people over last week to watch the Super Bowl and there was this text string that was going around prior to the Super Bowl of who's gonna bring what and that sort of thing. But in the text string, um, Lori said to the whole group, hey, glad you're coming, we're super excited, but just so you know, we go to bed at 10. We like, we like to do that to our guests, you know? It wasn't to be rude, and none of them took it that way. It was funny, it was a message of clarity, right? We love all of you, but you need to leave by 10, right? And that's generous, 10 o'clock's generous, even on Super Bowl Sunday. It's a little bit like our minds. It's okay to think about your reality, but don't allow those thoughts to linger. If those thoughts, if you are having thoughts that show up with their PJs on, or carrying a suitcase, show them the back door, right? Our minds are powerful weapons that can be used both for good and for the bad. In our minds, we have stored knowledge and belief about God and real-time experiences, both things. And when we dwell or obsess too long on what is happening to us or what's happening around us, we get stuck in a sinkhole. And pretty soon, it's all we can think about. It's possible that some of you here right now haven't heard a word that I've said because you're in a reality trap. And it's all you can think about. Our thoughts can consume us. Our thoughts can send us into a panic, frantically looking for rescue outside of God. And in our panic, we quickly, quickly lose sight of what we know to be true about God and exchange it for alternative ways to find escape or answers. And David said, I have enemies who wanna topple me, people who wanna take delight in lies. To my face, they bless me, but in their hearts, they curse me. He starts with confidence in the first two verses and acknowledges his reality in verses three and four. And then it goes back to truth in verses five through eight. Secondly, trust in God, verses five through eight. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. There's something interesting happening here because in verse five, it appears to be very similar to verse one. 
But there's a significant difference. Verse one says this, truly my soul finds rest in God, my salvation comes from him. So it's this declaration of truth. It's a statement of confidence and resolution. My soul finds rest in God alone. He's speaking to God, the statement of truth. He's directing it to God. But look at now verse five, even though it's, it's a similar kind of language, he's no longer speaking to God. He's speaking to his own soul. It's no longer a statement about the position of his soul. Now he says to his own soul, remain in that place. His prayer might go something like this. Lord, I trust you. My soul finds rest in you. And then, then he might say this. If his name was Andy, like mine. Now, Andy, you keep trusting in the Lord and find rest in him. My soul is waiting for God alone. And, and then you speak to your own soul. Now keep doing it. It's the same idea as the word abide that we see in John 15. Abide means to remain, to stay in a place. If a person tries to stand with one foot on a rock and another foot in quicksand, they will sink. Because one foot on a rock and one foot in quicksand is no different than two feet in quicksand. As to say, if you, if you have one foot on God and another foot trusting elsewhere, you will sink as fast as one who's not trusting God at all. That is why David rehearsed his confidence over and over and why he, why he called diligently upon his own soul to trust in God, to remind himself, stay there. When we have our footing on God alone, we can, we can say as David did in verse six, I will not be moved. Look at verse seven, my salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. It's safe to say that by the nature of David's confidence and belief in God, he was tempted. He was tempted to place his trust in many other things. Maybe his wealth, maybe his, maybe his wisdom, maybe his armies, his power, his position. He had a lot. But even when he was surrounded by things to trust in, he said, I will depend on God. Friends, we, we can only say that if we believe it. Everything we have can be taken away like that. We have no power to retain the things that we trust in. Hold them, but loosely. Only God is dependable. And we have an obligation to ourselves and the people around us for us to decide upon that which we will depend. This is a decision we can make. Before we leave uh, these first eight verses, listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon. Observe how the psalmist brands his own initials upon every name which he rejoicingly gives to his God. My expectation, my rock, my salvation, my glory, my strength, my refuge. He is not content to know that the Lord is all of these things. He acts in faith towards him and lays claim to him under every character. Again, encouraging us to move beyond just this mere knowledge to this personal experience of who God is. He's not just a rock, he's my rock. 
He's not just a refuge, he's my refuge. Verse eight, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. When you come to know and believe God, to, to be who he says that he is, you have the answer to those who surround you, who are continuing to go through life looking for a rock to stand on, all the while they're standing in sinking sand. We can say to people, I could say to you, it is true, look no further. I have experienced it personally. This is not wishful thinking. We can find rest in God and we can trust God. Look no further. So our world and our culture needs desperate hope. We have it. You have it. And even when you find yourself in places where the, where the culture is tempting to topple you, as David was describing, keep sharing the hope that you have. Number three, wait on God, verses nine through 12. Surely the lowborn are but a breath and the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they're only a breath. So David continues down this path of teaching people what or whom they should not trust in. After sharing so many times about putting our, our trust in God alone, he now moves to tell us why we should trust in God alone. He says, we're surrounded by those that he calls lowborn or who are like a vapor or like a mist or like smoke, poof, they're gone. And the highborn, they just lie to us. When it comes to mankind, we have nothing to fear but neither can mankind be our source of hope. It's not to say that mankind has nothing to offer, that would be ridiculous, but rather what they can offer is not enough for us to anchor our lives to. I hope you know that. We are but finite people on this earth, rubbing shoulders with other finite people. You could take all the finite in the world that you want, but it cannot ever total infinite. Verse 10, do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. David had seen people advance through cruel and dishonesty. Reminds me uh, kind of, well, our culture in general, but what's happening in Minneapolis. I don't know if you're following that story of this carload of teens that are driving around in Minneapolis and they see somebody walking, they jump out and they run up to them with a gun and they just rob them right there on the sidewalk. And there's, I think they're reporting now over 70 incidents that have taken place and they haven't been caught. Of course we live in a time when people are choosing to cheat and steal and manipulate because everybody wants to get ahead. Some of it is subtle, some in the workplace and some of it is blatantly obvious. But even if you gain riches legitimately, don't put your trust in them. Don't set your heart on them. This is what David's saying. Don't put your trust in them. By, by today's standards, you know how rich David would have been? He'd been a billionaire. And though we need to be reminded in his, in his early years, he was in poverty. I mean, for 15 years, he was on the run from Saul. You remember that? He's not, he's not running with bags of money in his hand. But as his riches increased over time, he was able to keep a level head and know that it would be foolish to set one's heart on them. Reminding us that it is possible for some to have great wealth and not trust in it. 
but noted, it isn't easy. Money speaks to us and says, hey, lean on me. I can be trusted. I can take care of you. It's kind of like the teenage boy who gets his first girlfriend and all of his friends say to him, hey, don't forget about us, right? Remember, we've been friends a long time. We, we hang out quite a bit. Don't forget about us. And he's like, how would I ever forget about you guys? Right. Verse 11, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, power belongs to you, God. Knowing his source of power kept his longing for power in check. He had all the power in the world. It allowed him to have this attitude of humility. Verse 12, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. as to say, yes, God, you are powerful, but you're also merciful. With you is hased love, which is a love of covenant, steadfast, kindness, goodness, and love towards me. God is a God of both power and mercy. God is strong, God is loving, both is true of God. One characteristic doesn't cease for the other to be true. They, they coexist in God. You reward everyone according to what they have done. Even though our goodness at times can be despised by this world, you will always be rewarded by the Father. I want to share with you as we close three quick ways, I think I shared this a couple weeks ago, how the Psalms, and for that matter the whole Uh, Old Testament are constantly pointing to Jesus. In Psalm 62, there's three things. One, Jesus knew how to silently trust his father. As an example, when he was on trial, he refused to speak up and defend himself. Do you remember that? He said, I'll allow the father to defend me. In fact, Pilate was baffled that Jesus wouldn't defend himself against the accusations. Another way that we see is Jesus put his trust in God and not in man. Jesus said in John 2.24, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Another way that this psalm points to Jesus is Jesus is the God of all power. I love this one, listen to this. In Revelation, the name used for Jesus is Almighty which in the ancient Greek means he who has his hands on everything. Everything. I want to leave you with a familiar verse, uh, maybe to some of you, for the one thing. This is what it says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, this morning. We thank you for your word and thank you for um, this particular psalm. And as we have been um, learning through the psalms, so many different things and just how David is challenging us here, um, Lord, how he could pray with such fervor, with 
all these attributes and characteristics of who you are and he never asks for anything. That alone <laughs> rattles us. God, I pray that we would learn to do that at times. You wanna hear from us. You wanna know our concerns. You wanna know the desires of our heart, but there are times when we can just sit before you and just acknowledge who you are. Because basking in that truth and repeating that truth transforms our minds. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that for those who are here this morning that have troubled hearts, that are hurting, that are confused, that are weighed down, that need hope and encouragement, I pray, Lord, as only you can, that you would meet them, Lord. You would minister to them. May we as a body be there for one another. In Jesus' name.